people ask me as president of Virtual Physician Partners, what's my vision for the group? And I think about how amazing it would be that if a patient were to walk into a clinician's office, the first words out of their mouth would be, are you part of Virtual Physician Partners? Hello and welcome to One Other Thing, the official podcast of Virtua Physician Partners. I'm your host, Dan Master. We're going to be talking about the lifeblood of a clinically integrated network in this episode. It's called network integrity. I'm sure you've heard the term before, or its companion phrase, referral management. But you never dug deep into what it means in practice, in every sense of the word. We'll first lay out a definition, and then we'll go deeper to break down the full context of network integrity. But rest easy. We won't just define network integrity and call it a day. We're going to give you the tools you need to optimize your process for referral management. To help us understand network integrity more, we've got a great slate of guests. We have Dr. Tarun Kapoor, Dr. Andy Cohen, and Dr. Chris Pomering. Tarun is Virtua Physician Partners President, Andy is Virtua Physician Partners Medical Director, and Chris is Virtua Medical Group's Medical Director of Hospitalists. To kick off the conversation, Tarun and I are going to talk about where the concept of clinical integration came from and why it matters for network integrity. Then, Chris and Andy are going to get into clinical situations that demonstrate the importance of network integrity for a clinically integrated network. And with that, let's get into it. So Tarun, what is network integrity and why is it so crucial to a clinically integrated network? Dan, the story starts with you know, the concept of a clinically integrated network to begin with. And if you, if you take a look at how the first clinically integrated network came about, it was Advocate in Chicago. And they had a group of employed clinicians, uh, physicians, advanced practitioners who came together with their independence. And you know, they made an argument that although we are not financially integrated, if we clinically integrate, then we should be allowed to negotiate collectively. Prior to Advocate getting a favorable ruling from the Department of Justice, DOJ, and the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, that was not allowed. You had to be financially integrated. Anything other than that was, uh, was not allowable by regulatory law. So the FTC then said, listened to their case and said, okay, fine, we, we will accept the concept of clinical integration allowing you to negotiate collectively with insurance companies, payers, et cetera. But they, the FTC established a three-part definition. First part is that the clinically integrated network would need to establish some form of mechanism to monitor and control utilization of healthcare services, and, and, and really with a focus around cost of care and quality of outcomes. The second part of the definition was there had to be a significant investment of capital, both monetary and human capital, and times time and effort into the infrastructure to show the capability to realize these efficiencies. And the third part of the definition, which is crucial to the concept of network integrity, is there needs to be clinicians who are selectively chosen inside of the network to achieve these efficiency objectives. So right from the start, the FTC lays out an expectation of having a network. And from a contracting strategy, once there is a network that shows a value proposition, that network needs to negotiate with payers. In some cases, you can actually negotiate directly with employers, large employers, to manage a group of patients. So it, it sounds like you're saying that network integrity isn't just a VPP strategy. It's core to the rules of a clinically integrated network. Yeah, I, I think the DOJ and the FTC 
are looking clearly for physicians and advanced practitioners who are highly interdependent and cooperating around quality and cost-effective care. I believe they're actually looking more specifically for interdependence between primary care and specialists. There's an expectation that clinicians who are in the network are performing well, and if they aren't performing well, they should be given an opportunity to improve or should be removed from the network. And if someone is in the network but isn't being utilized, we need to understand why. You know, is there an issue with their quality? Is there an issue with their utilization? Is there something else like service? And you know, if you look at how VPP has been set up, we have focused on creating a network of clinicians here in South Jersey. And that network is at the core of our strategy. So you know, we've taken a look at the data, and you know, an example would be Remicade. A patient who gets Remicade infusion done at a tertiary center, you know, we're, we're seeing prices you know, in, in the mid-teens of thousands of dollars. Here on the South Jersey side, it's half to a third of that. Exact same medication, different location. And that's, that's cost of care that gets factored into the models that we have, the shared savings models we have with our clinicians. So that all makes a lot of sense, but can we ignore the fact that some of the most advanced quaternary centers in the world are in Philadelphia? No, we shouldn't ignore it, and I argue that we, we should embrace it. We need to em- embrace the right services for the, our patients. You know, there, are, there are services that a patient should go over to Philadelphia for. CAR-T uh, immunotherapy was pioneered in Philadelphia, and you know, they're amongst the best in the world at doing some of those things over there. I have a six-year-old son, and while I hope he never has to step foot into the Children's Hospital of uh, Philadelphia, I know that if something unusual comes up with him, they're there for us. You know, I also know that if he needs ear tubes, he doesn't need to go to CHOP for that. We do that in South Jersey, and we do that very, very well. Philadelphia academic programs have some crucial roles, including bench research, education. Many of us trend at academic centers, and, and that's one of the roles that they put forward to the community. You know, that said, that all comes at a cost. And, and that cost is incorporated into the prices those tertiary and quaternary centers charge for those services. The reality for South Jersey physicians and advanced practitioners in a clinically integrated network like VPP is every time a patient goes to Philadelphia for something that could have been done locally, the total cost of care for that patient goes up dramatically and therefore decreases the value proposition for our own network here in South Jersey. You know, and I, I think that is the argument why network integrity is so crucial to a clinically integrated network. When you factor in the other costs uh, directly to the patient, like travel, parking, time, and the potential for decreased communication, you can see how crucial network integrity is. That is why a VPP clinician utilizing another VPP clinician within their network is absolutely crucial. Next up, we're going to hear from Chris and Andy. You'll first hear from Andy, and then Chris will jump into the conversation. So, Chris, you know, I'm a primary care doc by background, and I see 20, 30 patients a day, and some of those patients are sick. Um, The other day, I had a patient who was honestly decompensating with her congestive heart failure and um, was just long overdue to see her cardiologist and... So I opened up the VPP directory online and I found the Virtua Physician Partners cardiologist and I sent them there. 
But let's say that that patient truly needs a, a higher level of care and, and the cardiologist referred them to the, to the emergency room and for uh, hospitalization. Why should that cardiologist use a VPP hospitalist? It's a great question, Andy. I, I think the communication uh, between our clinically integrated network is critical to quality of care. Now, when that patient enters the doors of the hospital, we have our emergency physicians take excellent care and treat the acute situation. But that, when that patient requires hospitalization, now we have a VPP hospitalist. Now, the VPP hospitalist goals are aligned with quality, evidence-based medicine, as well as cost reduction. So we follow clinical integrated pathways across our system for, and in this situation, CHF. So we practice evidence-based medicine to make sure that our patients receives the best care uh, at the best cost. But what's even better about the clinic integrated network is that we have a good relationship uh, with our specialists across the system and our primary care doctors. So once we improve their situation and they're ready to be discharged, that, that information is transferred to the primary care physician who then takes that handoff, uh, whether uh, with a written uh, discharge instruction, summary, but also a phone call. Uh, to be able to improve that patient's care once they reach the door. One of the major concerns we have are our readmissions. So when we give that good handoff and that transition of care, whether it's back to our primary care doctor or say that patient becomes deconditioned and requires admission to a rehab facility or a post-acute facility, we have VPP physicians in those facilities that understand the same goals of quality, cost reduction, and better patient outcomes. Chris, I think that's great. Uh, clearly the patient's going to have a, a better outcome. But what happens when that patient's ready for discharge from the hospital or from the post-acute? How do we make sure that the specialist or the primary care doc is aware of what's happening with the patient? Well, number one, the hospitalist uh, or the post-acute physicians, particularly since they are CIN physicians, are hypervigilant to make sure we get accurate med reconciliations completed as well as a discharge summary completed, and making sure that we get that information back to the primary care doctor. Because as we all know, when a patient is seen within seven days after discharge, that significantly decreases the risk of readmissions to the hospital and ultimately improves the quality for our patients. And I think it's, it also forms those relationships uh, between our hospitalist, our primary care doctors, and our specialist. We're all focused on that same goal. It's good quality outcomes, evidence-based medicine, and reduced cost of care. So now, let's bring everything together. In this episode, we laid out the argument for why network integrity is so crucial for us as a system and for our patients. With network integrity, communication increases between primary care physicians, hospitalists, and specialists, costs can decrease for the patient, system, and payer, and the overall continuum of care operates more efficiently. Now, to elaborate on the VPP network directory, which Andy alluded to earlier in this episode... The VPP network directory is a pivotal tool for you to know who is in the VPP network. If you go to virtuaphysicianpartners.com, you'll see a button on the top right of the screen that says directory. When you click on that button, you'll be directed to the VPP network directory. Once you're on this screen, if you look to the left side of the screen, you'll see that you can select any specialty within any geography that you want to refer to. For example, let's say you are a VPP primary care physician in Medford, and you want to refer to an OBGYN within 10 miles of your location. You are able to do that from this network directory. All you would have to do is select OBGYN as a specialty, input your 
zip code, which is 08055, and then you'll immediately see that 49 VPP OBGYNs will appear. We'd recommend exploring this tool so that you become very familiar with how to use it, as well as the providers who are in the network. As you'll see, the network is extensive and it covers a very wide geography. We just have one piece of housekeeping. We wanted to plug VPP's annual meeting, which is scheduled for October 24th. The annual meeting will be held at the Barry D. Brown Health Education Center at 106 Kearney Boulevard in Voorhees. I've included a link to VPP's listing of events in the show notes of this episode so you can see the event listing for yourself. If you're a VPP clinician, please make every effort to attend this annual meeting as it will be an advanced clinical measure meeting in addition to VPP's annual gathering. We look forward to seeing you there. Before we sign off, we just have to say that the content of this podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Virtua Physician Partners. So thank you so much for listening to One Other Thing, the official podcast for Virtua Physician Partners. Please let us know what you think. You can either send me an email at dmaster at virtua.org, or you can leave us a review on whichever platform you access this podcast from. We'll be back soon to discuss One Other Thing.